Hi there. Welcome back. My name is Lars Hammer. I am the pastor at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church here in Moran, Arizona. I want to welcome you back to the walk through the Psalms. This little intermittent Bible study that I do where I look at a few verses of a, of a particular Psalm. I don't do all the Psalms. I just do some verses of some, uh, look at a little bit of context of it and look at a little bit about what it means. I'll share with you some of my thoughts on it, interpretations. If you'd like, I'd love to hear from you afterwards. Just give me a message uh, with any questions or comments you have. I hope this is, uh, builds up your own spiritual life a little bit, helps you get through, maybe gain some understanding of the Bible, uh, to see the Psalms in a new light. So today, we're gonna look at Psalm 71. We're gonna do verses seven through 11. And so here we go. I'm going to read through it uh, from the New Revised Standard Version uh, of the Bible. And then we'll take a look at it line by line. So here goes. I have been a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me, and those who watch for my life consult together. They say, pursue and seize that person whom God has forsaken, for there is no one to deliver. My, what a definitely not rainbows and butterflies psalm. Uh, so I thought, well, just, let's break this down, just start at that very first line. Uh, the first half of the first verse even. Uh, verse seven, I have been a portent to many. Uh, what in the world is a portent? I, I had to look this up again. Like I remember seeing this word in the gospels. Jesus talks in particularly the gospel of Luke when he's talking about the end times coming uh, and God's judgment coming. He says there will be portents and you know, you kind of, you, you hear the word and you keep going because I don't like to build most of my theology around apocalypse and the end times and we're all gonna die. So I'll admit I didn't dig into that word, but I thought for this I'd look it up. So I punched it into Google. Uh, what is a portent? And Psalm 71 actually showed up. There's enough people looking into this. What is a portent? A portent is uh, a sign of something to come, but usually a sign of something bad to come, like an apocalypse, a disaster, uh, something bad. So a portent isn't something you want to see. And it's not quite like an omen, maybe a little bit. Omens tend to be more superstitious, sort of random things that are not really connected, but we connect them, you know? Uh, oh, I saw three crows going by. This means that uh, the Jets will win the Super Bowl this year or something, you know? That, that's sort of an omen, right? The Romans used to do this all the time. They'd take a liver and they'd throw it on a pan and psh, and then they'd watch how it sizzle and somebody would read the, 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 you know, that bubbles on the liver and that would be how they could predict where you'd go to battle or, you know, that's omens. Portents are a bit more, uh, may, maybe you'd say down to earth, a little more concrete. A portent is the first uh, in a series of things to come, usually bad things. So uh, what would be a portent? You're driving down the road and you see flashing lights. 
far down the road and that is a portent of a traffic accident. And what's going to come from that? Well, hopefully nobody got hurt, but that's a possibility. It will mean traffic congested. It might mean a diversion. Uh, it might mean you're late to your job interview. The lights are a portent, right? Uh, it's the first of a bunch of bad things that are going to come. And that's how a portent works. So what in the world does it mean that the person writing the Psalms is saying, I have been a portent to many. What does it mean that a person is a portent? Well, clearly to these many, whoever they are, the psalmist was the beginning of bad things for them. The, the first of a line of bad things to come. Uh, sort of the spear tip of things. And nobody likes a portent, right? And how do people react when they see the beginning of a bad thing to come? We usually try to get it and get rid of it, right? If we see uh, mouse droppings on your floor, it is a sign, a portent of a mouse infestation. So what do we do? We start, we try to find those mice, hunt them down, get rid of them. Uh, so if a person is a portent, everyone's going to try to hunt you down and get rid of you. You are the first in a line of bad things to come. Uh, but what does it mean to be a person is a portent? Um, let's go back to early Christianity. Uh, I'll give you a few examples here, but early Christianity. For the most part, as Christianity took off, the Roman Empire could have kind of cared less. As long as you paid your taxes, did your dues, uh, they didn't care. The, where things became a problem for the early Christians is where they wouldn't obey some of the Roman laws, such as making an animal sacrifice to a Roman god, or making an animal sacrifice to Caesar, or proclaiming Caesar as God. And so, that it was when Christians wouldn't follow some of these cultural expectations that then they would start getting in trouble. Often, uh, it would be more like a lynch mob that would get them, uh, sporadic violence. But what would happen then as word of Christianity got around is Christians had to become more and more hidden in how they operated because when people would see Christians, they would see a portent of change, potential change. And what was going to come with Christians? Well, if they didn't offer sacrifice to the gods, the gods might withhold their favor from our city or our country, and then uh, disaster would happen. So when you see one Christian talking about Jesus, you better hunt them down and shut them up because they are going to bring change that from a Roman worldview, is bad and could lead to disaster. That one Christian you see is a portent of things to come. And so they'd hunt them down, shut them down. They'd go after you right away. You alone are just one individual Christian going about your business, you know, just going down to the docks to unload the ship or whatever your job is. You're not saying or doing anything. But who you are becomes a representation to the Romans of these bad things to come. So they go after you, right? As it says in verse 11, pursue and seize that person, right? 
What are other portents we have? I got thinking about portents about this with uh, people being seen as a spearhead of social change. Like, um, there's a bus driver. Uh, this story I read about. There's a bus driver in southwest Minnesota, some small little farming town that's historically mostly Scandinavian. Uh, you know, my grandpa had a church down in that area. And, uh, you know, it was considered multicultural if your church had Germans in it, too. Uh, that was the kind of place it was. It's changed a little bit. But uh, that idea of our place being tied to a particular ethnicity is still a very strong idea down there. Well, one of the things down there that they also have is meat processing plants. And with a lot of meat processing plants has come immigration from places where people uh, need the money and will work in meat processing plants, such as Central America. Well, a couple of years ago, if you remember, there were huge waves of Central American immigrants coming in. Uh, there's another one happening right now because a lot of Central America is having huge problems, not just with poverty, but with gangs and drug cartels and kidnappings. And so people are sending their children over the border just to keep them safe, just to avoid all these drug gangs. And one of the refugee resettlement places that the US government found was one of these small towns. And I don't remember the name of the small town, but it had this processing plant and a lot of Central American people there who knew Spanish. And so a lot of these Central American kids who were sent over the border by themselves I mean, think about that. We get nervous about sending our kids to the grocery store unaccompanied. They're sending their kids across a national border unaccompanied because the danger is that great. So then they, re then they would um, resettle them in this small town, often with distant friends or family members that they'd have some connection with. Well, suddenly the local school system goes from 90 whatever percent white to like 50 percent white overnight. And suddenly Spanish becomes spoken as much as English is spoken. Well, different people dealt with it differently. Some people don't care. It's just the way it is. They go on with their lives. But they told this story. I remember reading about a bus driver. And this bus driver, he was not a fan of this at all. But it was his job to pick up all the kids on the route, uh, not just the kids who had Swedish names like me. And this guy was such a jerk. He, when he would pick up the Central American kids and the Spanish-speaking kids, he wouldn't talk to them. Uh, and he wouldn't wait for them. He was like a total jerk. Like if they didn't make it to the bus stop on time, he'd drive away anyways, you know. He'd sometimes mumble slurs about them under the breath. Uh, you know, stuff that should get his butt fired. But they're writing about it, and he just really feels like those people are ruining the town. Um, things are changing. Things are changing in their town, right? These kids are just kids going about their lives. They just want to go to school and, you know, learn whatever. But they are bringing change. Change in culture, change in language. Uh, and then eventually they'll all speak English. And nobody's requiring any Scandinavian person down there to not eat Ludafisk and Lefsa or whatever they want to do. Uh, they're not requiring him to change, but it will change the character of the town. He's not happy about it, so he dumps this anger on these kids. Kids. Why? They have become for him a portent 
of change. Probably not just change in his local community, but a sense that the whole world is changing, right? And our world is changing, there's no question about it. And people are migrating and moving all over the place, and our culture is even changing from within. And the things that we used to know as solid and predictable all the time have changed. You know, what words you can say, what pronouns you can say, all these kind of things. The, the societal standards keep changing all the time. And so, when we see a person come in who becomes representative of that change that we see as a threat, that person ends up becoming a portent. It's not the person that the person did anything particularly wrong. In fact, the whole point of the psalm is that the person became a portent to many. Person is innocent. Person didn't do anything wrong. It's just what they represent. And it doesn't say what it is the psalmist represented. It doesn't say what change the psalmist was bringing, but the psalmist is going through this experience of being that person that people fear and see as the beginning of bad tidings to come. So how do they respond? Pursue and seize that person. And then they even rub it in one more time. Whom God has forsaken, for there is no one to deliver. Really? God has forsaken them? And you know this how? But that's the assumption, right? God has forsaken them, get them. Pursue them, get them. Humanity can be so mean, right? We can be so mean and so prejudicial to each other sometimes. It's really appalling. And what's really sad is how in some ways, how little this has changed. And so, you, ha you know, from thousands of years ago. But here you have this person, the psalmist, going to God saying, look, I've become the village enemy, right? I've become the village enemy, and they all are out to, they're out to get me because they think that I'm the bringer of bad things to come. So what is the, what is the response? We'll go back to verse eight. My mouth is filled with your praise, and with your glory all day long. So even though they're hating me, I'm going to still keep praising you, Lord. Don't cast me off in my old age. Don't forsake me when I've run out of strength. So I can handle my own against these people who hate me for who I am, but I will get old, and my ability to protect myself is going to get less. And they're just as mean. Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to be there for me and with me when it goes south and this happens. Don't leave me in my old age as I have become a portent to many. So what a, what a view that God is coming to rescue the person who through no fault of his own has become the enemy uh, and is praying to God to step in and offer protection when the psalmist doesn't feel that in the rest of the world. What a way to feel. Um, I think many in our world can relate to that, um, that you know, we become hated for what we stand for. We become hated for what we, you know, the, what, what we represent, the identity we have, and how that identity becomes a threat to others in their minds. But yet, God does not forsake, right? Um, public enemy number one is not necessarily God's enemy. So. 
That's all I got on that tonight. Uh, verses 7 through 11. All right, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you all have a great day, uh, and I hope that God blesses your hearts and your lives. God bless.